One Hope Church. Good morning. Good morning. Beautiful day here in Athens, Georgia. Welcome. We're glad you're here in the parking lot or online with us this morning. We are thankful. This morning we're going to continue our study through the book of Genesis. Uh, We're in Genesis chapter 4 this morning. We'll be looking at the story of um, Cain and Abel. And it's uh, in in many ways, it's a terrible story, but there's also in this chapter um, glimmers of hope um, as well. And so we'll definitely latch on to those this morning. Um, But just remember, back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we saw the creation um, of the universe, the creation of of our earth, the creation of the Garden of Eden, the creation of, you know, everything from the, from the biggest things we can imagine to, you know, everything at a, at a microscopic level, um, the creation of, of Adam and Eve. And then in chapter three, we saw, um, their sin, the, the one thing they were told not to do. You basically, you know, that phrase, you had one job. You have one job. And for Adam and Eve, the the one job was like, don't take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one thing you can't do. All the other stuff you can do, all the other good stuff you can do, just that you got one job or one thing not to do. And of course, that is what they did and which set us up in a predicament. And then we're going to see, you know, that was the seed of sin that was planted. And we're going to see in chapter four this morning that come to full um, fruition, um, and we still see it even to this day in, in, in the fruit of that that seed of sin that was planted um, that we saw in Genesis chapter three. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump right in Genesis chapter four, um, verse one. So Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your your love, your grace, your goodness. Um, to us that despite the, the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden and the fallenness of humanity as a whole, yet we still see your grace and mercy abound. And we give you thanks, dear God, and we um, bless your precious name this morning. We, we thank you and we ask that you would give us even just a greater appreciation this morning. Give us a greater understanding of... Um, of humanity um, in its brokenness and in the, in the part that, that turns to you, Lord, um, and also give us a greater appreciation for the grace that you gave us, especially in that you sent your only begotten Jesus to the cross on our behalf. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. So in chapter four, verse one, it says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a, was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. 
So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. So let's stop there um, for a minute and talk about these first seven verses. They're um, really important for our pastors this morning. And they set the scene um, for us. And so we can see Adam and and Eve have, you know, Cain um, and then Abel. Cain being the older brother. Cain works in the garden. Abel, uh, he's a tiller of the ground. And Abel keeps the sheep. And then obviously some time passes. And in the process of time, it came to pass. Uh, But just for our setting the scene, I want us to think about the process of time uh, for a minute. And just, you know, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and um, perhaps there's, there's, um, you know, we're not given the whole story here. There could already, um, by the time we we finish this, you know, daughters being born and et cetera. But um, just think about, you know, family life. Years and years of sharing meals at a table together. You know, these two brothers grew up together. You know, they played together. They, you know, tussled and wrestled and fought like, you know, siblings, you know, will do. But all in the, you know, confines of that, you know, relationship and of what's kind of, you know, we could we would consider even even despite sin, we would still consider like normal behavior, right? Um, now that's a problem problem with us because we even consider sin normal, right? We need to remember like sin is not normal. Sin is not good. You know, we accept a certain amount of it in, in our own lives and the lives of our children, lives of all, because we know we're fallen and we have to have grace and, you know, we're broken in the whole bit, right? However, we shouldn't get used to like, oh, sin is just normal. You know, that's not healthy. That's not a good thing for us but just think about in the process of time and the time that they would have spent together as a family and then Cain you know he becomes a tiller of the ground and and Abel has a a flock of sheep and it doesn't say it specifically here um, but I think it's pretty pretty obvious that God had given instruction concerning a sacrifice that they were to bring Uh, You know, these are not two guys just going like, hey, I'm going to approach God this way. And the other one saying, no, I'm going to approach God this way. But neither of them have like a clue of what God wants. And we we know they have a clue of what God wants. And remember, Moses is writing this in context of the nation of Israel as he writes the first, you know, five books of our scripture. And so his audience fully understands by that point the sacrificial system, the giving you know, the sacrifice of the firstborn, you know, of the sheep. So that's the firstborn of the flock. So, you know, like they, they have a context already of understanding, you know, all of what is expected um, as far as the, the original audience of Moses as he writes this. Now, so it, it seems very clear just as you read it, even without that, that there's a reason that there's a there's a there's been instruction because the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but did not respect Cain and his offering. 
And then Cain, it says Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Why was Cain angry? Cain was angry because he wanted to come to God on his own terms, but he could not. And then he sees how his brother is accepted because he went on God's terms and he is jealous of his brother and he is prideful. And he is sitting there, think about this folks, he is sitting there looking at at the work that he has done up to this point in his life compared to his brothers and he's making a comparison and saying what I do with the ground is just as valuable as what you do with the sheep. And he completely misses the point. He completely misses the point that this was about what God said and what God had wanted. It wasn't about that... You know, Cain's work in his life was invaluable, you know, like didn't have any value or that um, he was, you know, less than his brother because he was a tiller of the ground and his brother was a keeper of the sheep. But it did require a humility on Cain's part to either, you know, ask his brother for a sheep, you know, um, to ask for one of those, to ask for a lamb. Or to trade him, you know, some of his harvest for one. He had, you know, he had multiple ways, multiple options to solve the problem. And he could have kept even his, you know, if he felt like it would have been just to, to, you know, just to have been given a gift from his brother wouldn't have been dignified with him. He could have paid for it. He could have made a trade. But instead, he is just angry. He is angry and he is jealous. Because in Cain's view, this situation is not fair. But the Lord in verse 6 says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do, do well, sin lies at the door. So God tells Cain, he meets Cain where he is. In his sin, God meets Cain and gives him instruction like, you need to have an attitude adjustment. You need to have a heart change. That you have an opportunity here to do well. Like the story doesn't have to end here. You can still make things right. You see here, we have God's grace extended. And and understand this, God does not have to extend grace to Cain here. God could have just simply said, Cain, I'm done with you because I told to you this way and you went and did another thing. Like God would have been fully holy and just and righteous not to have given Cain a second chance. But here Cain receives a second chance. He receives an opportunity, as the scripture says, as God said to him, to do well. And if you do well, will you not be accepted? God is extending that invitation. I will accept you if you change your heart. If you have a, you know, if you, if you repent, if you turn from your bad attitude from your jealousy, from your anger, and 
do what I have commanded, that you would obey, then you will be accepted. But then he said, he gives us warning. If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, this is a really important verse in scripture. I think it's very often overlooked, but this is a really key verse in scripture. You see, God knows that sin is not going to be satisfied with Cain just being angry and Cain being jealous that God knows that sin is not satisfied ever until it has complete mastery and control over Cain. That that anger and jealousy is going to have an outlet. You see, God knows the propensity of the violence that would follow Cain's anger and jealousy. God sees where this is headed. Sin lies at the door. You know, basically he's warning Cain, Cain, this is a trap. This is a trap of sin that you are falling into. But notice he says this, it's desire is for you. Now, the, the scripture as a whole is very clear that, you know, sin you know, desires to make people slaves of sin. This desire is for you, but you should rule over it. But you should rule over it. And so I just want to make a note here. First question, how can Cain rule over the sin? Well, he has to agree with, Cain has to agree with God's perspective. Okay, God, you're right, I'm wrong. My heart needs to change. God, you know, he has to ask God, he might have to ask God for help for his heart and attitude to change, right? And then he has to obey and do what God had said. And that'll set things straight and that will stop the sin and stop the trap of sin and the continuation of sin into deeper sins, okay? But here's what's interesting. God says this to Cain. Cain is not a regenerate person. Cain is in his flesh and yet still has a real choice and decision to make about what sin he's going to commit. And that's an important theological point. Like we're all born into sin, but even those without God do have a say and a a say in how much they fall into sin and how deep they go into sin throughout their lives. What I mean by that is if you think about the, you know, the, the worst, most notorious, you know, sinners from a human perspective, you know, when you're talking about Hitler and Stalin and, and people like that, the point is they didn't have to be as evil as they were. It's not like they were just you know, puppets in a scheme and they had to commit every evil they committed. No, that's not the way it is. Even people who are not believers, they don't have to murder. They don't have to commit adultery. They don't have to commit other things of wickedness at those deepest levels. Now, 
there's still some things that are that are true as well. The propensity to sin is within all of us, even those of us who are believers. Note, note this, folks. Sin is still crouching at the door for you and for me. Still, sin still wants to have victory in your life and in my life. Since you know the enemy and sin, you know desire that we would disobey God and and ruin our testimonies and ruin our reputation as followers of Jesus. Like sin is still crouching out the door for you and for me. Don't think otherwise. Now think about this though: if Cain, without the benefit of the written scripture. Without being a regenerate new creation in God, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, without the fellowship of the church, is expected to rule over the sin that was crouching at the door for him. If Cain was expected to have victory in that situation, how much more you and I, who are followers of Jesus, who have the benefits of being new creations, who have the benefits of the written word, who have the benefits of the indwelling spirit, should rule over the sin that crouches at the door for us. So I look at that and I say, you know, that should give us a lot of hope about our potential for victory and holiness living a holy life in the here and now today, regardless of what the culture and everything else is doing around us and what sin creeps at the door, we should have a posture because of what Jesus has accomplished at the cross. We should have a posture that we expect victory, right? Do you expect victory in your life over sin or do you expect defeat? Again, if Cain was expected to have victory and he did not have nearly all the benefits that followers of Jesus do, if you are a follower of Jesus, you should expect to have a great, greater victory than God expected Cain to have. Right? Isn't that logical? Doesn't that make sense? If you do well, will you not be expect, accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. His desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You see, there is a personal responsibility that Cain has, regardless of all the circumstances and how he felt about those circumstances. He had a personal responsibility to do what was right and to not give himself over to violence. But what happens in verse 6? So the Lord, or sorry, verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. That's a horrific verse, isn't it? Cain talked with Abel, his brother. It came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now, I haven't really heard this argued, but somebody argued, well, maybe Abel wasn't very nice in that conversation. 
based on what the rest of Scripture tells us, I, I don't think that that would be a, any sort of fair conclusion to come to. But nothing justifies what Cain does here. Nothing could justify what he did as he rose up against his brother who he had shared that table with and ate all those meals together with and had all those experiences of life together with and out of anger and jealousy rises up and kills his brother. Now the root of that is the same as in the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment, you know, you've, you know that, that um, you should not kill. Now, we have to be mindful there because sometimes, um, you know, our English translations are, are really good, but sometimes there's nuance involved that don't tell us sometimes everything we need to know. And in, in Hebrew... Um, it seems that 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 sixth commandment really should be translated, you know, thou shalt not murder. Just like we have in English different, um, you know, we, we have different categories of homicide, right? You have first degree, like premeditated, intentional killing, which we call murder. Uh, then you have, you know, unintentional Killings, you know, you might have a situation where someone intended to do harm, but they didn't intend to do that much harm. We might have that as a second degree homicide. You know, you have accidents of manslaughter where someone was killed, but it was strictly an accident. Like, hey, you know, one person was on their roof and didn't see the other one walking by when they dropped, you know, a large brick off, and it killed that person. You're not gonna say that that's the same thing that what as what Cain did to Abel you know so we under hopefully we understand that and understand the nuance there's nuance in the scripture and um and and you know and in language and that these words you know that they they matter um and that obviously the, the the attitude of one's heart and the situation um, play a large role into whether something is an accident or something is an accidental killing versus murder, right? Hopefully we're all on the same page, you know, with that. The problem for Cain is, you know, he went angry. He went without asking God for help. He went without repenting. He went without a desire to be obedient. He went in anger to his brother and then rose up and killed him. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I, don't, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. 
a fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. A couple of notes here too that I think are important to make and you know there's some things that we won't ever know at I think this side of glory. Because I think it's a common question and a reasonable question to ask in this context if God knew Cain was angry and God knew, you know, he goes to the field with his brother and he knows, you know, all things. God knows all things and he is all powerful. Why doesn't he stop Cain from murdering his brother? And, and especially in the context that we see in scripture, God does stop people from murdering at times. So we see there's times God does stop people and there's times that he does not. We're not going to know the answer in each specific situation of why or why not. You can probably drive yourself crazy trying to figure out why in one case and why not in another case. We have to have... Um, you know, some peace in that, you know, God knows what he's doing and that we trust the Lord. You know, we have some peace um, in that, even though we may be troubled, rightfully so, by specific situations that we encounter, you know, in life. Um, We also know that because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, it started, you know, that, that seed of sin was planted and the fruit of that is going to continue to, to be born um, until Jesus returns and, is, and, you know, completely does away with sin. Um, and, and we have the eternal kingdom of God that we are with him. We do take solace in the scripture and revelation that tells us he's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. That there will be no more pain and no more sickness and no more death. How about that from a promise of God that there's going to be a point in the future where there is no more death. Praise God for that. But you see, but in in the meantime, people have real choices to make about sin and how far they're going to go or about responding to the conviction of God in our context, you know, responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and repenting and becoming a new creation. We need to remember in this story that God's grace is available to Cain, but he refuses it. He refuses it. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And folks, I'm going to posit to you this morning that there's a lot of a lot of crying out of the ground. Because all over this world, blood has been spilt. In violence, in anger, in greed. For one reason, for one sinful reason or another, doesn't the ground cry out specifically? I mean, especially as the righteous 
like righteous Abel, the righteous, the innocent, the defenseless are slaughtered. And we can take comfort in knowing God hears the cries of that blood. And that he will give out justice. I, I want to read a couple of, um, just a, a section from First John chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, related to Genesis 4. It says, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are made known. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Not as Cain. You hear that? Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Folks, if you want to know the definitive conclusion, because there are people who are going to argue, well, maybe Cain didn't really mean to kill him, or maybe, you know, I mean, we just wanted to beat him up, or this or that or the other thing, or maybe all these different things. The Word of God gives the definitive statement on the matter. Like, there is no ambiguity here in First John chapter 3. I was actually reading a, a, a Jewish um, writer about the Cain and Abel and the different words that are used for kill and, and everything. And, you know, completely missed on, on a ton of it because not, you know, partially because not having the definitive words here of the gospel. I mean, missing it from the Old Testament as well. But if you were going to, if you were, if you were inclined to miss it from the Old Testament, reading the new would set you straight and go, oh, I need to go back and check my conclusion because obviously that wasn't, I need to revisit that because that wasn't right. Because here, the Apostle John tells us Cain was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And this, this folks, this passage, I think, tells us that if someone is a new creation, has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, is a, is, is a, a true follower of Jesus... Yes, you can fall into sin, but there's only so far you can go. And you can't go to the point of premeditated birth. Like a follower of Jesus just doesn't do that, according to 1 John. Now, some of you might want to argue that. If you can, tell, if you can show me that I'm interpreting that scripture incorrectly, I'll, I'm, I'm willing to listen, but I'm just going to take that at face value. Of what it says here, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I don't think it could be any clearer. 
that that person was never a believer in Jesus if they did such a thing as a premeditated murder. And if you know some a particular story in my family, you know that that's not an easy thing for me to say. I don't want it to be that way. But that is what the scripture says. And folks, there's a principle here at play. There are so many things in our lives and our circumstances and things that we experience in our culture or in our family and all these different things that we are going to come to portions of the scripture where we do not like what the scripture says because it's going to hurt us in some way. It's going to bring pain to us in a certain way. And in those moments, we have a clear definitive choice of whether we take the truth of scripture or what we want to be true. I beg you for your entire life to be a principled person. To when you read the scripture and it conflicts with what you want to be true, that you take the scripture, you ask God to help the hurt that it causes in your own heart, but that you take the scripture because that is the path of life and joy and peace over the long haul. You see, because if we get to a point where we're t- picking things, I don't like what it says here because I, I'm a, you know, I have a family member that did this thing, and I don't want the, the outcome to be bad for them, for that person. So I'm not going to listen to what the scripture says. You see, if you start doing that, then that pattern is going to set you up for misery. That sat- that pattern is going to set you up for failure in your spiritual walk. Don't compromise with what the scripture says. Go with the scripture over the long haul. You will be better off. Genesis 4.13, And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. See, Cain has an intuition about the consequences and about vengeance. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, Whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Now again, this is a passage that I, I honestly, I come to it and I accept it. I say, this is what happened. This is what God did. Now it's not the final word on what God says are consequences for murder. We have the whole of scripture for that. But in this case, and this is before the law was given... There is, as we see the second time in this chapter, that God gives Cain grace. Because be very clear about it, folks. Justice 
full justice without grace in this situation is that God just takes Cain's life. And that is the old, old that is the, the law of Moses that God gave the law of Moses. That was the expectation. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. But here God doesn't do that. He gives grace a second time to Cain. And Cain and Abel end up being this contrast in the scriptures. Hebrews 11.4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, though which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. See, Abel was obedient, and that proved that he his righteousness, because he was just willing to do what God had said. Understand that just because Abel was a keeper of sheep, like he still had a a he still had a choice to make. He still gave up the first fruit. He could have said, "No, I want this one from to keep for mine. I'm going to give a different one, or I'm not going to give one because they're mine." You see, he had choices to make along the way as well. Don't misunderstand and think that Abel didn't have any choice to sin or to be obedient. No, he had choices to make as well. By faith, Abel offered to God. By faith means he believed God. And so he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead still speaks. The testimony of Abel still speaks to us today. It speaks to the world and encourages people to have faith and to obey God. And, and what does that mean today for somebody who doesn't know God yet to, to have faith would be to receive the sacrifice that was made, Jesus, the righteous one, on his behalf and say, I receive that sacrifice. You see, in many ways, it's like being in the position of Cain. See, a person without Jesus is in the position of Cain cannot of their own you know, of Cain before he commits the murder. Understand? So, he's in the a, a person without Jesus is in that position today. Cannot present of his own works a sacrifice acceptable to God. Cannot through his or her own merits say, well, I have done these things and therefore God should accept me because of the work of my hands but has to go to Jesus. The, the sacrifice you made on my behalf, I receive in faith. I believe in you. I trust you in humility that what Jesus did at the cross was good enough and that what I have done never could be. You see, it requires humility to receive from Jesus. Abel still speaks to us today and encourages, uh, encourages us to have faith and to obey. And in our context, that obedience is believing in Jesus Christ.
move along here quickly just to a couple other things. It says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod of the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod begot Mahujalel, and Mahujalel begot Methuselah, and Methuselah begot... Sorry, not Methuselah, Methuselah begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a young man. I've killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And so we have here, you know, just to answer a couple of questions. You know, people wonder, you know, who Cain, you know, married. It seems pretty clear from the context of everything and even DNA testing that we, I mean, DNA progress that we have today that, you know, same common um, parents that he married his sisters. Now, that would not have been um, an issue in that context as it would be today. And there was no prohibition against that at this time and would have been the only option. Um, Again, you know, there was a point in time where evolutionists taught in the spontaneous, you know, generation of humans, humanoids, you know, different parts of the earth, and those of us who believe God created and that he specifically created Adam and Eve and put his spirit into humans to make us distinct from the rest of creation, you know, said no to that. That's not right. The DNA evidence gets better. And now they say, well, the majority of us have the first parents. Well, okay. You're make, they're making progress. That's good. Um, but again, here we also have in this in this context, as we'll see, um, people lived a lot longer, also had a lot more children. You can have po- populations can, can grow very rapidly um, in this context. And, and in chapter four, we see, um, you know, greater increases in civilization. We see music, we see craftsmanship, we see, you know, the ability to, to build in detail. We see art. All of this here, really early. We also see Lamech breaking another command of God. Because back in Genesis, for this reason, a man shall be shall leave his father and mother and join his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It doesn't say the three or the four or the five or the whatever. It's the two shall become one. And so Lamech had done this. And even further in his sin, you know, and he's going to say, well, he had reason because this young man had wounded him. But it doesn't seem like he had to go as far as he did in defending himself. And he's 
basically, it, it almost seems like he's bragging about what he had accomplished in killing that young man. So again, we see sin continuing on, and we have a contrast in verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore him an, um, a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, him also his son was born, and he was named Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So with Seth, and specifically with Enosh, you know, so that you end up with these, in chapter 4, as chapter 4 ends, it's important to keep this in mind, you end up with like two lines, one along the line of Cain, and the other along the line of Seth. One that is you know, flourishing materially, but it's far from God. You know, they're flourishing in, you know, even, you know, music and in art and in craftsmanship and in building. Their, their wealth is increasing. But Lamech is indicative that they are far from God and his ways. And then Seth, who calls upon the name of the Lord and is encouraging others to, to join in on that. And so there's a, there's, you know, I, I think the end of chapter four, especially the last verse of chapter four, give us a lot of hope and encouragement because even in a world that is full of jealousy, is full of chaos, is full of violence, there are those who are calling out to the Lord and desire to worship in spirit and in truth. And we have decisions about you know, how we interact and how we navigate the world that we're in. And so this is passage is an encouragement to us not to give in to sin and to understand that calling on the name of the Lord, encouraging others to call on the name of the Lord is the only hope for humanity. Because understand this, folks. Whatever people do apart from God, whatever system people, humans set up that is apart from God and separate from God and God's principles and God's ways, whatever is devoid of viewing other humans as valuable as made in the image of God and worthy of protection, respect, and care, whatever system you have, it is going to breed destruction and chaos and at that point we are just talking about degrees we're talking about degrees of destruction and chaos the only reason that our culture hasn't completely devolved is because there are still some principles that though people have rejected God they still hold on to principles they're devoid of reason because a person without God has no reason to care for or respect their neighbor. It's nonsensical. But there's still values because of our scriptures that are carried over into the world. They may not know where they came from. They may not know why they have them or why they think that they should still hold on to them. But what keeps 
the whole thing from falling apart utterly is because there are principles that God has given that are still a little bit at play. Now, we as followers of Jesus, like, that's not our goal. We are, we are citizens of a different kingdom. Our goal is not just outward appearances and having, you know, nice little communities and societies to live in. Our goal is to see people come to know Jesus and be new creations in him. And so again, we have to keep the main thing. The main thing is that we need to keep continue to call on the name of the Lord and to make a positive difference through encouraging others to call on the name of the Lord. Because that's the solution that people actually need. People need Jesus. Before you met Jesus, what did you need? Jesus. Was anything else going to help you like Jesus has helped you? Was anyone or any idea or anything going to help you like Jesus would help you? No. So what do people need most? Jesus. What do we need to give them? Jesus. So as you go throughout this week, as you have opportunity and the Lord puts people in your path, let's share Jesus and encourage people to call on the name of the Lord because there is salvation in his name. As the scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you for your grace your mercy and your love. We're we're even thankful for how you showed grace to Cain multiple times. After he had committed what would be considered the smaller sins, then after he committed such a heinous sin. We're thankful that Abel, that his blood still calls out to us in righteousness. thankful for Seth and for Enosh who called on the name of the Lord and encouraged others to do so as well. And we pray that we would follow that example and all those examples we've been given throughout the scriptures of those who called people to turn from, from greed, to turn from covetousness, from violence, from jealousy, and to turn to you. And so as we take the bread and cup ourselves in this time, Lord, help us, Lord, examine our own hearts and and sin that creeps at the door for us, that we would see it from you, we would confess it, we would get rid of it, and that we would take that bread and cup, honoring and remembering you, Jesus, this morning. We thank you again.